New on Curiosity Stream. Grab your lab goggles. We're out to find the world's coolest, loudest, and most in-your-face experiments. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. See how hands-on science can change our everyday lives on oddly satisfying science. Plus, from goats to guard dogs, hear surprising stories about the creatures that brought humanity to the next level. It's animals that changed history. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are twenty dollars, just a dollar sixty-seven a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. On my first summer back home from freshman year of college, I picked up a part-time job delivering pizza in a town around thirty minutes away from where I lived. The area, in rural Georgia, is known for having places that are in the middle of nowhere. In the pizza places, whole shtick was that it delivered to even the most remote areas imaginable, within the town limits. I could fill books with the weird experiences that summer, from the call that came from a long-abandoned warehouse, to the dog that got excited about the pizza in my hand and accidentally shredded my pants with her claws. But one will always stand out in my mind as the creepiest. It was getting fairly late at night, around 10.30pm, so I was confident at the time that I would be sent on no further calls before closing at 11. However, someone barely managed to miss the cutoff time, and our clerk accepted their order since they were so close. I was given the address and a single box of hot dough and sent on my merry little way. The first red flag was the driveway, or rather, the lack thereof. There was a mailbox, but no actual driveway, not even gravel. It was just grass and a barely distinguishable trodden pathway that resembled more of a service trail than it did something frequently used. I bumped along, wondering if I was even en route to the place, when I saw a slightly above average sized home come over the horizon, horribly dilapidated and completely surrounded by overgrown woods. I guesstimated where the rest of the driveway led, and ended up parking in a grassy patch that could have been the walkway, just as easily as it could have been the front yard. Headlights aimed towards the porch, as per company policy. I walked up to the door, but I believe that calling it a door is generous. It was a door frame, all right, but the door itself was just a large slab of wood propped haphazardly against the side of the house, barely covering the entrance. This was red flag number two. The third and fourth red flags were also on the door. This included the A4 sheet of printer paper with the words around back scribbled in all caps, which was hanging just below the place where somebody had self-engraved the door with the title Manson Family Ranch. Typically, I would never go around to the back of a house, especially a shady, unlit house, and especially at night. However, it was my last drop of the day, and I was ready to get it over with and be on my way home. Against my better judgment, I traipsed around to the back of the house. The door back here was an actual door, but it was covered in both cobwebs and fresh spiderwebs. Clearly, this was a door that had not been used in some time. I found the cleanest area available and knocked. I counted to 45 and knocked again. There were no lights on in the house and I could hear no movement from inside. I knocked and counted again, and repeated the sequence three more times, before I was finally creeped enough to decide to return to my car. As I turned, I finally heard a voice coming from inside the house, clearly agitated. 
but I couldn't tell what they were saying. I tried to knock one more time, and as I was counting, I heard something in the woods behind me. It started out as just movement deep in the trees, but soon enough I could make out distinct running footsteps coming directly towards me through the brush. As I'm standing there, coming to terms with my impending demise, I followed the direction of the noise to the edge of the woods, which is around fifteen feet away from me. In the moonlight, I could clearly see the woman who stepped out. She was relatively old, maybe in her sixties, I would guess. She had long, blonde-gray hair, which was tangled and matted and hung down past her hips. She was in what looked to be originally a white nightgown, but at that time it was dingy and closer to a beigeish brown color. She was absolutely barefoot, and her feet were covered in dirt, and what had to be blood, presumably due to the fact that she had just sprinted through the prickly woods, where there was no trail to be seen. I never learned her name, but I still affectionately referred to her as Red Flag Number 5. She stopped short when she saw me, and started to shake her head no, eyes wide. I stood there, like a terrified deer, in the most screwed-up headlights ever, as she took a few more steps towards me, reaching out to me, finger-pointed. Her voice came out stronger than mine would have at the time when she spoke. You know how southern people can either sound like loving grandmothers or backwoods murderers? Well, she sounded like the latter when she drawled. Oh, no, 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 honey. No, you get on. You get. Get on out of here. I wish I could say I listened. I ran. I left. But I was so in shock at how events were playing out that my own self-preservation was put on a back burner while I tried to figure out just what in the hell was happening. She seemed to realize that I was not moving, even if I could not make my mouth move to ask her what was happening or even what to do with the stupid pizza in my hands. She looked at me like she could have smacked the hell out of me right then and there, and proceeded to deliver red flags 6 through 12. Darling, did you hear me? You deaf or dumb? Young girls like you come out here, and then they don't get to leave. So I finally quit being the white person in a horror movie when I realized that this was not a funny little ghost story. This was five foot three, 116 pound me, potentially being targeted to be robbed, or kidnapped, or worse. So I dropped the dumb little pizza, which had serious serial killer toppings, by the way, and started running back to my car, which I had stupidly left on and unlocked, as was usual for most of my deliveries. As I neared the car, I heard a slam from behind me, and I looked over my shoulder to see that the wooden door had been pushed over and had fallen into the porch beneath it. As I was closing the car door, an older man was limping down the front steps, waving his arms like an airplane runway attendant at me, calling me a little bitch, telling me to get out of the damn car now. At a loss for what to do, I called out something muttery and shaky and along the lines of, Pizza's out back. I floored my dad's crappy little 90s Lexus and somehow managed to avoid trees on the odd trail back to the main road which was still 12 miles and several turns from any road that actually had a name, let alone painted lines. I reported it to my manager, and he said he contacted the police, but nothing ever came of that. I'm aware of. Either way, that was my first, and hopefully last, personal encounter with the self-proclaimed Manson Family Ranch.
I'll start by saying, I have a terrible biological father. He has been a shady person all of my life and constantly caused me a lot of grief. This is just one of those examples. When I was four, my parents split up. My mother and I moved states and they agreed I would visit my dad every school holidays for a week. This one particular time, I had been with him for a few days when I was playing with my cousin at a nearby park. A car pulled up and I recognized the man as one of my dad's friends. He called me over and without thinking, I ran over to him and left my cousin at the park. He asked me if I could show him where my dad lived and I agreed and got in his car. I gave directions and didn't notice at all that they weren't following them correctly. Looking back, I didn't really know the way anyhow. After way too long, I did realize that we were getting closer to the city, which is far from my dad's house. We pulled up at a house I didn't recognize, and the man told me to wait in the car. I did. I didn't feel scared at all for some reason. He eventually took me inside, and I definitely started to feel unsafe then. I mainly remember two girls passed out with their tops off, and a much older man was feeling them up everywhere. I made eye contact with this man, and he made me sick to my stomach. I had definitely figured out that this was a bad situation by this point. A lady took me into a bedroom and brought me a sandwich. The bread was stale and I wasn't hungry, but I ate it, all, because I felt bad for her. Which doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's what I was thinking about. The lady told me a lot of things I didn't understand, but when she left I remember thinking my dad was coming to pick me up soon. I fell asleep waiting for him. I wet the bed that night, and no one came to see me the next day, until I cried very loudly and banged on the door. The lady came back and yelled at me for stinking up her bedroom, and I asked about my dad. She said he was coming tonight after he finished work. She didn't offer me a shower or a bath, so I sat in my soiled pants all day. After that, everything turned into a blur, really. My dad did not come that night, and I was so terrified. In my head, I felt like I was there for months. I thought I was missing school and everyone had forgotten about me. In reality, I was there for five days. They let me take one shower. I don't remember eating much except for boring sandwiches, and I had chips and gravy ones. Finally, my mom drove across the country to get. Finally, my mom drove across the country to come and get me. After not being able to get a hold of me or my dad for so long, and then me missing my pre-booked flight home, she panicked and came looking for me. And thank God she did. She found my dad at his girlfriend's house, methed out completely, hiding out. Turns out he owed a lot of drug money to the people who had taken me. They had told him that they had me, but he couldn't afford it, or didn't want me back, whatever it was. He didn't bother to try to get me back. My amazing mum paid his debt for him after borrowing from a lot of people, and she came to get me. And she came to get me back. I remember when someone came into that room and told me my mum was here, and I walked out and I could smell her. It was the best feeling to feel safe again. She took me home and I didn't see my dad again for a very long time. She took me home and I didn't see my dad again for a long time. She never called the police. My parents' relationship was very complicated then. I fully understand the choices she made. I'm definitely okay now. 
I've spoken about this in therapy, and I've come to terms with most of the things that I went through as a child, but still a messed up situation for a four-year-old girl to have to be in. I'm going to tell you a story of a terrifying old creep that has stalked me since I was 16 years old. I'm currently 20. So basically, to set the scene, I'm an average height, average size, 20-year-old female. I've been told I'm very approachable and perhaps too nice to strangers. I sometimes just don't have the heart to tell people to screw off, and I definitely should. Obviously, I'm not going to give specific details, but I worked in a restaurant which was inside a bigger shopping center. My stalker, an old man named Eric, worked for the actual shopping center itself, and not a store inside it, like me. When I was 16 and first started the job, I was quite timid and awkward, and let anyone say pretty much anything to me. I didn't quite know what to say when older customers and other employees would make inappropriate comments to me. I would simply just laugh off whatever people would say or not respond. In my 16-year-old mind, this was a lot easier to handle. I had one other friend at my job who was my age, and her name was Jessica. Jessica had worked there for longer than I had, and one day she asked me if I would heard of this guy who worked in the shopping center called Eric. Jessica described Eric as very strange. She didn't describe him as frightening or unsettling, or even someone to be afraid of. Just as a very eccentric man. Really, she and other employees would laugh at his odd sayings and awkward behavior. Jessica has always told me that Eric had brought her a present on Valentine's Day. Chocolate. Anyone would think this was friendly behavior or harmless flirting. If he wasn't a 15-something-year-old man bringing chocolates to a 16-year-old girl he barely knows. I began to see for myself that Eric wasn't just an innocent old man with a slight crush. He had other intentions. The first time I remember Eric approaching me was when I was filling up a machine near the entrance of my work. This machine was out of the view of all the other employees, and the restaurant was empty, so this was pretty much the perfect time for a creep to approach, without being seen. Eric wasn't supposed to enter my place of work when he was working at the shopping center, so he had deliberately gone out of his way to come and speak to me. To describe his appearance, he was your typical creepy old loner. He was gaunt, had gray hair with bald patches, and had beady little eyes, which he never adverted from yours, and I can't get them out of my head till this day. Eric must have sneaked up on me, as I looked up and he was standing right next to me, a little too close. I could feel his breath on my cheek. My name is Lucy, Eric asked me. Lucy, are you married? He almost giggled after he asked me this. He had a smirk on his face, which made me feel as if he was trying to pretend that he thought I was older than I was, and at sixteen, I looked sixteen. Eric liked to ask me questions that he already knew the answer to, just to see what my reaction would be, letting me know in his own way that he had been looking up information about me on social media. He would do this frequently. I began to clock on to the fact that Eric had been going a little further than just approaching me at work, and instead stalking my social media accounts in the weeks following this first encounter, such as Twitter and Instagram, when he began asking me very specific questions about things I had posted about in the days before. For example, 
I had posted on Instagram about a tattoo I got, which was in homage to my favorite band. I was serving a customer one day, only to be interrupted by a shrill but quiet voice. It was Eric. His eyes were huge and he had a look of pure excitement and menace on his face. He had yet again entered my workplace when he wasn't supposed to, just to talk to me. He asked me, Lucy, what's your favorite, insert band here, song? Eric relished in my discomfort. You could see by my reaction that I was clocking on to the fact that he had been viewing my personal social media, and the thought of that made my blood run cold. I felt disgusting and violated. The tattoo I had gotten was covered by my work uniform, so the only way he could have seen it was by going through my Instagram page. This creeped me out majorly, but somehow I just forced myself to forget all about it and carried on working. Over the course of a few months, Eric would come into my workplace more and more frequently, asking me bizarre questions and still reciting back to me things that I had tweeted about or posted on Instagram. Every time I would see him, I would get visibly uncomfortable, and he liked this. This is what he wanted. All while this was happening, Jessica approached me and let me know that he, Eric, had followed her in his car on her walk home from work, slowing down to ask her where she lived. I had also been told other disturbing news about Eric from multiple different people. It seemed as if he was becoming more invested in whatever his intentions were towards me and Jessica. News had traveled to one of my managers about Eric's unsettling actions towards me and this manager, informed me that years ago, Eric was rumored to have followed a young girl who used to work for our restaurant into a toilet. Things didn't quite make sense to me. He was known for being a creep, yet still employed at the shopping center. On one hand, I was glad to know I wasn't just creeped out for no reason. But on the other hand, I was frightened, as he'd been doing this for years, yet no one stopped him? Anyways, there was a woman who worked at the same place as me called Rebecca, and she had some sort of disability which caused her to befriend and be trusting to people without knowing anything about them. It seems that Eric took advantage of her, as he had asked for her phone number, and she gave it to him. Rebecca had shown me her text with Eric. He had texted her things like, Rebecca, are you alone? And, Rebecca, are you sad on the bus alone? But the most unsettling part of it all was the text from Eric that read, Rebecca, could you please let me know any information on the girls that work at, insert restaurant name here? I was stunned. This was quite slowly turning into my nightmare. I was constantly questioning why this old man was so hell-bent on finding out everything to do with my life. Why me? He had gone out of his way to source information about me through a vulnerable person I worked with, and I was scared he was going to go further. Again, this creeped me out, but still, for some reason, I forgot about it and carried on with my life, which was very hectic at the time. And, in a way, I'm grateful that I didn't have the time to dwell on Eric's growing obsession. However, this was something I wouldn't be able to ignore forever, as Eric began inserting himself into my life in ways I couldn't just ignore or brush off. One night I was watching the movie Grease with my family, and I must have tweeted something stupid like, Grease is my favorite film, because it's a great film, right? Anyways, 
The morning after my tweet, Eric approaches me in his usual way and utters, Do you like the film Grease, Lucy? The same usual smirk lit up his face, and the same usual wave of disgust washed over me. He was really making it a point to let me know he was watching me. I tried to carry on with my day, but spent the entirety of my shift feeling a little shaken up. To someone reading this story, it may not seem as unsettling to you as it did me at the time. But when someone is going out of their way to make sure you know they know information about you, you spend every waking hour thinking about what they plan to do with this information and why they insist on taunting you with this knowledge. The very second I clocked out of work and got into my car, my phone went off. This was a notification from PayPal. I clicked on this notification to see that I had received three pounds from an Eric Stanley, and the note attached to it read, To Lucy, greases the word, from Eric. He literally found my PayPal account and sent me three pounds with a quote from the movie attached to it. If this wasn't crazy enough, in the following days I received a string of anonymous calls, incessant calls, one after the other. I was in floods of tears and ended up having a huge panic attack. I felt like there was no escape. My phone rang and rang all night. I had to turn it off to get away. Even when I turned my phone back on, the calls continued, and every time my phone would ring, my head felt like it was being impaled with the sharpest knife in the world. I was on the complete edge. The phone calls that I did answer were just someone breathing down the phone, making a point to breathe heavy. I even swear that they were trying to sound like they were jerking themselves off, which sickened me. I had no proof that this was Eric, but it wasn't hard to put two and two together after all the lengths he had gone to in order to track down my personal information. He had found out my PayPal address, my phone number, and all of my social media accounts. What was stopping him from finding out where I live, breaking in, hurting me or my family? That night I had horrific dreams in which he chased me around my house and taunted me for hours. I still have similar dreams and struggle to sleep without my boyfriend present, as I'm scared he's standing right outside my door to this day. I reported Eric to my managers, and they passed my complaint on to the managers of the shopping center. At this point, I was genuinely scared for my safety. Multiple girls added to my statement and added details of times they had witnessed Eric's unsettling behavior, or times he had been inappropriate with them too. Eric had been cautioned by the shopping center's management, yet nothing was done, except the fact that he was warned not to talk to me. Eric found ways around the no-talking-to-Lucy rule. He would make animal noises at me when he would see me like a monkey, or a dog, or any bizarre noise that would get my attention. I think he just wanted me to think that he had outsmarted me, found a way around the rules. After this, I stopped working at the restaurant as a full-time job, and saw Eric less and less, which was obviously great for me. I moved cities as I went away for university, and made new friends which distracted me from my old life in my hometown. I still thought about Eric every now and then, and when I focus on it for too long, I can't be alone, out of fear that he is still keeping tabs on me. The thought of that terrifies me. After moving away and starting my new life, I forgot all about the twisted little man who used to obsess over me at my old job. I forgot he existed, but I was soon going to remember. 
On Christmas Day, I was back home in my hometown with my parents. My phone buzzed, and I expected it to just be another message from a friend or a family member, but I was wrong. I received a notification from PayPal, and it was the exact amount of three pounds. Only not from Eric this time, but from a girl whose name I didn't recognize at all. I opened up the PayPal app only to see a note attached to this payment I had received. The note read, Sending on behalf of Eric. My blood ran cold again. I had forgotten all about this man and all he had done to make me feel unsafe and unsettled. And here he was again, antagonizing me, yet this time doing it through other people. Perhaps his way of telling me that him being banned from talking to me himself won't stop him from entering my world. I threw my phone down on the couch and spent the night drinking with family, until I forgot about the notification. I probably should have told someone about it, but I just wanted to do as much as I could to block him out. I didn't want him to control me anymore, and I since haven't seen or heard anything from him. And I wanted to stay that way. I think Eric still works at the shopping center, and lives local to me. I avoid my old workplace so I don't have to see him, and he doesn't have to see me. This happened about a year ago. There were so many terrible factors working against me that night. I'm astounded I got away unscathed, at least physically. This all begins when I'm at my friend's apartment, who lives in a really rough part of town. In a series of poor decisions, that night I decide to get belligerently drunk and take a few pills of God knows what. I know. I know. Safe to say, after a solid night of partying, around 4am I was not in the right state of mind. My drug-addled brain decides that instead of staying the night at my friend's apartment like I normally would, I wanted to Uber back to my own apartment. My friend's apartment had two separate entrances and exits to the building. One in the back, unlit parking lot of the building, and one facing the street. They had two sets of keys for each door, and I only had keys to the one in the back of the apartment. Since my Uber would obviously arrive at the street, and the door in the front of the building locks itself behind you, I exited this way when the driver was soon to arrive. Looking back, standing outside that apartment, I realized I looked like the easiest target on the planet. I'm a small, petite female in my early 20s, and I can hardly stay upright. I'm using a street lamp to prop myself up and not doing a good job at that either. The light was basically a beacon for any nearby predator saying, come get me. I'm not paying attention to my surroundings at all in this state, despite the fact that there was literally a bullet hole in the front door I just came out of. Not good. I remember checking to see what car I was getting picked up in, and was only able to pick out the fact that it was a black sedan. Soon after stepping outside, a black sedan pulls up to the curb and starts rolling down the window, so I step forward. Before this man even spoke, I could feel something was wrong. He had an expression like he was tearing me apart with just his eyes. After seeing that look, it gave me a new meaning to the word predator to describe a criminal, because I knew what it felt like to be prey. He basically barks at me. I'm your Uber driver. This was the second red flag that somehow made its way through my brain. Normally, Uber drivers just roll down the window and say, Fossil Fool 12? or any version of that, but always including your name. I think I just stared at him for a second, 
my brain slowly piecing together the situation I was potentially in, and I asked him, What's my name? He immediately is enraged, and starts screaming about how he doesn't have the time for this, and just get in the damn car, etc, etc, etc. I don't think I've ever sobered up so fast in my life. I'm completely panicking. Obviously, this wasn't my Uber. Quickly checking the license plate, I immediately see it's not a match. Meanwhile, this guy is still screaming at me, and I have absolutely no idea what to do. If I bolt in either direction, this guy could easily outrun me or have a weapon. I'm also pretty sure at this point that if he's trying to nab a random girl off the street, he must have a weapon of some sort. I can't run back into the apartment door right behind me since it locks behind you, and I don't have the keys nor the time to unlock it. Running towards the back door would do nothing as well, as he's idling right by the mouth of the driveway, towards the back of the parking lot. And again, I would have to take the time to find the right keys and get in. If I screamed, I'm not exactly in the type of neighborhood where someone would try to be a vigilante, and I can still hear the music radiating from my friend's third floor apartment. I knew they wouldn't hear me. Also, it's 4 a.m. and absolutely no one is around. People talk a lot on this sub how they either sprint into action or freeze, but I felt incapable of doing either. It was the absolute worst feeling I've ever felt in my life. Everything in me wanted to run, but I felt that if I did it, it would be the end of me. But if I kept standing there, staring in shock at this screaming man, the result would be the same. From when he started screaming at me to this point, I'm guessing only 20 seconds had passed by. Just as he's looking like he's getting ready to get out of the car, another black sedan pulls up right behind him. Checking the license plate as quickly as I can, I realize it's my actual Uber and make a full sprint to the car, really only like six steps, and throw myself in, screaming at my real Uber driver, what's my name? The poor dude looks terrified but responds with my name quickly, to which I reply, Get me the hell out of here, that man is trying to kidnap me. If I was in this Uber driver's position, I think I would be too shocked to react as quickly as he did. But my dude flew out of there, offered to call the cops for me, which I declined and now regret, and then walked me to the front door of my apartment, ensuring I got inside safely. Truly an incredible human being. You can rest easy knowing he got the fattest tip my college student bank account would allow for although he deserved much, much more.